you have your Bibles and would like to turn with me to our text for today, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, particularly verses 8 through 12, but I'm going to read a a bit more of the chapter, starting at verse 4, just to give us some of the context. So here now, uh, the word of the Lord. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, even as we have heard your word read today and you continue to work through those words that we've heard read. So now work through your word preached and strengthen our faith that we might glorify you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the history of the church, the people of God have always had to contend with the corrupting influence of false teachers and their false doctrines both under the Old Covenant and the New. Idolatry and apostasy had become so rampant in Judah in Jeremiah's time that he described Jerusalem's behavior as a perpetual backsliding when he announced God's intention to consume them for their sins. The New Testament is full of passages warning against the danger of false teachers Many of Paul's epistles were written to confront the errors that were already beginning to propagate among the churches of the apostolic period. Such is the setting of Paul's epistle to the Colossians from which we take our passage today. In verses 6 and 7 of the chapter we just read, Paul reminded us that we not only enter into Christ by faith, but we continue to live in him by faith. 
Those verses stand as an introductory summary of the pattern for Christian living that Paul begins to expand upon in the text that we're looking at today, verses 8 through 12. Because there are enemies of our faith, we must be wise. We must be aware that we do not drop our guard against the corrupting influences that still trouble the church today and take heed to the warnings the apostle gives us in the text. We must be certain to find our freedom in the fullness of Christ if we are to live in the glorious freedom of the children of God. So verse 8 begins with the word beware. As Christians, we are called to guard our freedom, to guard that freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this warning is no hypothetical generality. There are real dangers to us in our Christian life. We should never be so uh, haughty as to think that we could never be led astray, that we could never err, that we could uh, never be wrong about something, that we could never be deceived. What was the danger that Paul was warning about in, in his day? He, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit. Other versions will say something like, take you captive. The word that, that's used there in the Greek is uh, a word that appears only this one place in the New Testament. And so it is also a, an unusual word in other literature. Um, it, uh, it definitely has to do with the, the concept of, of spoiling. Um, you know, you may be, you know, the King James Version uses that word to, to spoil. You're, you know what spoil is, you know, in a, in a war context. Spoil is everything that you capture and take for yourself. The question is whether Paul is saying, don't let people take away what you have, or whether he's saying, don't let people take you away as their captives. Either way, the danger is real. The New King James Version and the King James Version tend to go with the cheat you, plunder you, or, uh, or spoil you kind of sense, uh, whereas the newer translations, the NASB, the ESV, lots of the other, most of the others go with the take you captive sense. But in either way, there's a real danger. There's a danger of losing something if you're taken captive, losing your freedom, losing the blessedness that you have uh, and that sense of blessedness that you have in your Lord Jesus Christ. He characterizes the danger um, in a number of ways. He, he calls it philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, according to the basic principle, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In these descriptions, philosophy is not philosophy as such. There's nothing wrong with philosophy done rightly. He's not saying don't pay any attention to philosophy and per the pursuit of, of wisdom and, and understanding. But what he is saying, 
What he's warning against is the kind of philosophy that is made up of empty speculation and theorizing contrary to the truth that is in Christ. The, the NIV sort of paraphrases this in the sense as, as hollow, and, hollow and deceptive philosophy. Combines the terms of philosophy and empty deceit into the, the notion that is, this is hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's characterized by emptiness and deception. He also warrant, describes it as man-made traditions contrary to the truth in Christ. The church has always faced that struggle, whether it was in Judaism, the, the traditions of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes, whatever set of man-made traditions it was in addition to the true law of God. In pagan thought, there were the Stoics, the Platonists, the the Gnostics, the Epicureans, and a bunch of others as well, all who had their own <clears throat> conceptions and vain understandings. In church history, there have been all kinds of controversies. There were the early Trinitarian controversies. There were the Christological controversies of the, of the early church. There was Docetism, Pelagianism, Romanism, Modernism, all kinds of isms. Uh, in which the thoughts of man-made traditions that are contrary to the truth of Christ have arisen. In modern culture, there's Marxism and humanism and egalitarianism. Oh, there are all sorts of man-made traditions whose principles can sneak in and take us captive if we're not being aware the Colossian errors in particular, we'll look at just a little bit later uh, in terms of what was threatening the church as, as Paul was writing to them. But they involve also what Paul says here as the, the basic principles of the world. <clears throat> this is another thing that uh, commentators have, have debated about in terms of how this fits together. Um, whether it has to do specifically with the ceremonies of the law being mixed with the gospel, which most of the older commentators tend, tended to favor, or whether it represents a combination of the, the law and the gospel mixed together with uh, pagan ABCs. Um, the word itself means you know, it's rudiments. It's, a, it, it's the basics. It's the things that make up... Um, the uh, the world in a sense if the if you're talking about uh, language the ABCs are the ABCs kind of thing they're they're the 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 building blocks that you make the words with um, in uh, other thought the the rudiments had to do sometimes <clears throat> with uh, uh, angelic powers and and forces in the area in the time of the day so whether it's elemental spirits or elemental uh, concepts that were part of pagan philosophy, either of these things, all of these kinds of mixtures represent a falling back from the gospel to something pre-Christian. And therefore, they are contrary to the truth in Christ. The words used a few places in the New Testament, the, this word rudiments or uh, uh, rudiments of the world, uh, <clears throat> the stoichia, um, 
that are that are the material elements in some places. Uh, in a passage like Second Peter, uh, where it talks about the elements melting, those elements are this same word. Or in Galatians chapter four, where Paul talks about the ceremonies and the 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 uh, the Old Testament uh, law requirements. He describes them as weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage when he's dealing with that threat there. That's that same word, those weak and beggarly elements that he's describing there. Or in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, you have more of the concept of first principles uh, developed when uh, we're talking about the first principles of the oracles of God that those who are immature need to go back to uh, instead of going on to maturity in the faith. So we see the word used in a variety of ways. But in, in whatever sense precisely it's to be understood in this passage, uh, it, it's clear that there's a mixture of things that are contrary to Christ that are being added to the gospel. And that threatens to take the Colossians into slavery, into bondage again. The result of these combinations is emptiness, not fullness. You see, fullness was what these false teachers were promising. They were promising, they were arguing that Christ by himself was not enough, that the simple gospel of Christ's life and death and resurrection, his ascension, his coming again in glory, that that simple gospel message was not sufficient, that there was more that you needed in some sense in order to have fullness. Today's threats are real. Whether uh, when we look around, we see that you know, I, I think statistically, you know, the, the, the statistics say that cults recruit most successfully from within churches, people who were formerly church members. We see, you know, the, the broader evangelical church drifting further from its commitments to the Bible, bringing in all sorts of arguments that weaken the sense of inerrancy and authority of Scripture, using all sorts of worldly notions to tone down the message, the requirements that God's word gives us. We see theology being corrupted by false science, by knowledge contrary to the truth in Christ. We see exegesis being done on the direction of false principles derived from the world rather than from scripture. The visible church has been corrupted in so many ways so many influences contrary to the truth in Christ. There are battles about the, the whole self as identity, gender fluidity, identity politics that are permeating the church as, as well as the world. There's the egalitarianism, feminism, antinomianism, all sorts of isms that have made their way into the church. The threat is real. We need to beware lest anyone cheat us or take us captive to these false notions that are not according to Christ. 
And that's the standard that Paul sets here, that uh, our freedom is in Christ and what we know and believe and how we live should be determined as according to Christ. He's our standard. His word points us to his will for our lives. So, as we move on to verse 9, we see Paul begin to to explain why it is that we need to beware of these things and what it is that we have that is in jeopardy. He says, For in him, that would be Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Our freedom in Christ is through the fullness that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers at Colossae were teaching, apparently, when we, we look at, uh, at the, the book and see the number of things that, that Paul speaks against, something like a, a necessity of, of someone else, something beyond Christ to be able to have fullness. Uh, perhaps they were teaching uh, the necessity of some sort of intermediaries, a, a levels of deity kind of concept that uh, you had to have a, a ladder of deity, of different types of deities to be able to make it all the way up to uh, a fullness of relationship with God. They appear to perhaps have taught the worship of angels and other things. They taught that Christ alone was incomplete that you could not have fullness in Christ alone. Additional knowledge and rituals were required in order to possess that fullness, including, in some cases, elements of the ceremonial law, such as circumcision, returning back to that uh, Old Testament practice. Paul's response in verse 9 is, Christ is fully God and fully man. There is no ladder of beings that comprises the fullness of deity, all of deity. The fullness of the Godhead really and substantially dwells in Christ, the God-man. There is no need for anything else. There is no need for an intermediary between God and man except the God-man, Christ Jesus. And because the fullness of God dwells in him, you are complete in Christ. He says in verse 10, you are complete in him. Um, that word complete is, the, is a, a different form of the, uh, the same word that's used for fullness in verse 9. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are filled to the brim. You are filled up in him. You have that fullness in your terms of your union with Christ. The connection between these verses is is made even clearer when we see that those, those words are connected there, that it's the concept of Christ being fully God and man and our union with him that allows us to be certain that we are complete, that there is no other fullness because we have 
Christ. There's nothing else to have. If you are in Christ and in him is all the fullness of the deity. He is the head of all principality and power, we're told. Again, this relates to that uh, controversy about the need for uh, angels and the worship of angels or other principalities and powers, spiritual beings that might need to be uh, appealed to or, or satisfied in order to have fullness. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul had said that those uh, things, those thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all of them were created through him and for him. They're not independent. They're not things that need to supplement him. They're things over which he has dominion. Certainly spiritual entities appear to be in view here, those upon which the false teachers put so much of their emphasis. But being under Christ's dominion, they can do nothing without his leave. Hence, they can add nothing to him or diminish from him in no way. They cannot diminish him in any way. Our freedom is revealed not only in the fullness of, of Christ, but in the fullness of what he has has given to us and done for us in the change of ceremony from the old to the new covenant, particularly dealing with the, the challenge that circumcision needs to be added to Christ in order to have all that is needed. Paul goes on in verse 11 and 12 to talk about in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul teaches us here that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of, the, of being in covenant with God. In Genesis 17, Paul or God told Abraham, my, my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Baptism has replaced circumcision as that sign of being in covenant with God for the New Testament people of God. As the seal of righteousness by faith, Paul said in Romans 4.11 that, uh, that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. Baptism serves as a seal of that righteousness by faith. Baptism has replaced circumcision. So to trust in circumcision now to try and add circumcision to what Christ has done is to undermine grace. Paul says, in Galatians 5, 2 and following, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You can't add circumcision to what Christ has done and get something better and get something more. Instead, you get nothing when you try and add. Baptism has replaced circumcision as both sacraments have the same spiritual focus. 
The goal of spiritual circumcision in the Old Testament was expressed in Deuteronomy 10.16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. And that has been accomplished in Christ, we're told. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. <clears throat> Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22, there is also an antitype which now saves us, namely baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him this circumcision that we have received is a circumcision without sin or without hands it um, <clears throat> it accomplishes the removal of sin through saving faith by the power of the resurrection we have no need to add circumcision because we have this in Christ and we have it applied to us in our baptism. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you have all this, that the rudiments of the world, those Old Testament things anticipated if you have all of this in Christ as demonstrated by your baptism then you have no need to go back to the bondage of ceremonies now fulfilled in Christ or to any other knowledge or practice that claims to lead to greater fullness you are a new creation in Christ as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 7 that we are the heirs of the historic faith of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of freedom in the fullness of Christ, does not guarantee that we will remain personally and corporately free unless we diligently watch against every threat to the truth of the gospel in Christ. All around us we see evidence of the visible church's backsliding into bondage to the principles of the fallen world. We must beware lest we be taken captive by the deceitfulness of sin in any form. What are some things we can do to protect ourselves? Well, everything about our life in Christ is nourished and protected through the use of the ordinary means of grace. Those things that we described as the ordinary means of grace, the word, sacrament, prayer, regularly in corporate family and private worship. Being together, hearing the word of God preached, reading the word of God together in our, in our families, studying it ourselves, using the, the sacraments as we're going to do in just a little bit as we eat and drink at the table that Christ has prepared for us to nurture and feed us. Praying regularly. All of these things will strengthen us and to do that battle, to guard against those, uh, those attacks 
of the enemy, against the deceitfulness of sin. Another thing we can do is uh, adopt. You know, some of you have heard people talk about being good Bereans, perhaps, in the past. Well, um, I, I want to make it the Isaiah and Berean approach as opposed to just the Berean approach because yeah, I want to appeal as well to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, where we read, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The word of God, searching it. And again, as that familiar passage from Acts 17, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Be careful what you hear and read. Search the scriptures. Evaluate all things by the law and the testimony, the word of God. And if it does not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light. You can use the historic creeds and confessions of the church to measure what you hear. They're not the Bible, but they're good summaries of Bible doctrine, of faithful doctrine, designed to guard the truth of the scriptures against errors that have risen in the past, to protect you from the errors of others and your own errors in interpreting the scriptures. Second Peter 3.16, Peter uh, comments uh, in that notable passage about uh, where he says describing Paul's writings and says in which there are some things that are hard to understand which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction we need both sides of the fence we need to be ourselves pursuing the scriptures but we need to hear the testimony of sound doctrine from the history of our Christian faith. We need to recognize that our understandings sometimes can be wrong and need to be shaped by what our fathers have taught throughout the history of our faith. Fourth thing you can do is catechize yourself and your children. Use the catechisms of the church that have been built for exactly that purpose um, you, they're effective. They work in in, in instilling a, a basic understanding, you know, of of the the scope of what Scripture teaches, and they serve as as boundaries to protect us. They 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 shape things in ways that uh, that help us recognize that doesn't sound quite right, and they're a guard and a protection to our thinking. Fifthly, meditate on the sufficiency of Christ, especially the grace of forgiveness and the power of the resurrection at work in you. Meditate on, on that and recognize that there is no need for any other. And lastly, practice a life of repentance and faith in Christ, asking him to constantly expose your present need of his work in your life and to transform you so that you may be truly free. In spite of the dangers, there's hope. For in Christ, we have all we need. Let us cling to him who has made us complete. Let us love him who has circumcised our hearts by his spirit. 
Let us pray for the purity of his church and the peace that comes from having one mind in Christ. Let us remember that we were buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And now, let us prepare our hearts to receive with joy that sacramental meal Christ has established to feed our souls with his grace.